We're going to continue this uh, story uh, of, of what God had for mankind. We started about family, and that was the beginning of God's story of life and everything. And that now we're getting to a, another aspect of it in the church. And, and I know we're talking about church, and we miss church, and we're thinking, man, I can't wait to get back to church, and the reasons why, and the fellowship, and, and just the interaction, and seeing people. It's so weird. I've run into a few people in the store, and it's almost like a big deal to be able to even say from six feet away, like, how are you, and be able to interact. And uh, it's it, it bringing to our minds the, 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 uh, just the greatness of what we had when we could do that. And uh, I, I started thinking about when we miss church and we're saying we're going to get back to church, what are we saying that we're going to get back to? And, and I, I know our routines and our plans and things like that. And of course, I miss those things. Uh, but there's a lot of things that start off one way. And I talked about this last week, uh, you know, about jumbling up our lives and jumbling up. Like I use the illustration of the laptop of how or iPad and cell phones of how we get so much added to it that eventually it slows down and doesn't work. And the only way to get it back to operational, to being uh, uh, operational the way that you need it to be effective in life is you have to go back and like reset it. It's like clear out some of the junk that we added in and some of the clutter. It's not always bad. It can be just making you busy, but clearing that out to get it back. And I started thinking how many things that started off with a specific purpose and over time, that purpose changed. I, I started thinking probably with something that we're very familiar with. I, I think most people have a cell phone. You might even be watching this service right now on a cell phone. And if you notice that we don't even call it a cell phone anymore. We call it a smartphone. At the beginning of it, it was primarily just a phone. That's, that's what it was. It was created to make phone calls. It started off as a flip phone, and then we uh, had uh, different aspects or different changes it had. But eventually, they came out with what we call the smartphone. And the crazy thing is now when I look at this device, I don't really think of it just being something that I make phone calls with. It's, it's my GPS. It's Facebook. It's playing games. It's my camera. I watch videos on this. I, I use it for texting. Um, it's uh, tracking your steps, fitness apps, browsing the internet. Uh, I use it for reading books. I use it for FaceTime. I use it to meet with people in Zoom. I, I use all these things. And the crazy thing about it is none of these things are bad. But what I thought about this is it's funny that one of the least used features of my cell phone is the phone. Because I have added so much to this that the original intent or the original purpose at the beginning of this was for a phone. And I think about it, and like I said, that, that's not bad. I'm not sitting there saying because you, you, you play Candy Crush on your cell phone that it's bad or whatever. No, we just added to it over time. But if you think about the original intent or the original purpose of it was for making phone calls. And I just started thinking about that with the, with the church. We, we start with the original mission and purpose of what God had. And over time, man gets a hold of it, kind of like the cell phone. And like, well, I'd like to do this, and I like adding this, and this is really cool. And a, over time, we almost look at the church like we do at the phone and saying, man, I just love whatever and these different aspects, programs, and things. And you would even ask the world, it says, well, what is it for? And they, they have all these different things that the church is for. And I think we kind of lose sight of what it started for. What was the original intent? 
What was the foundational purpose? And I'm probably going to take this even a step deeper than what we normally think about. And the reason why I'm saying this is because the church is so needed today. It's so needed. It's, it's not just a good thing in society. It's not just a blessing. It's vital. And, and, and the church that I'm going to talk about might not even be the church that you're thinking about I want to take this so much deeper because of the fact is that we are nearing the end. We seriously are. And times are changing. The world is changing. And God keeps flashing these warning signs, reminding us that the the, the time is coming. And God had a plan for his church in the last days. God had a plan for it to be effective and powerful. And it's just sad that sometimes the world around us doesn't look at it as a necessity or vital or good or useful. And I thought of why. Uh, Me and Jordan and Logan were cleaning out our garage. Actually, they were cleaning out the garage, and I was overseeing it. And they did an awesome job of doing things. And they they called me out and there a few times, and they said, Dad, what is this? And I went back and said, I don't even know. I haven't seen that in forever. And, and they said, well, we plugged it in. It doesn't work. Should we keep it? If it doesn't work, there's no reason to even have it. All it is is taking up space. I said, that's true. Just go ahead and throw it back in the truck or in the trash, and we'll, we'll throw it out. And I started thinking over time, just like our cell phone, it, it, we, we get away from the purpose of it, and then all of a sudden, it's not working. This is not effective. People sit there and say, I don't know why I should give up my Sunday. To go to a place, it's, I, I really see what it does in my life. It, it's, it's, you know what, I'm just going to discard it and put it off to the cell, side or put it on the shelf because honestly, it's just in my way. It, it's, it's just something that jumbles up my plans. It just, it's not a necessity. It's not important. And man, what a, what a tool of Satan for us to get to that place where it begins, or it begins to happen like this in our life. When God said that I put you here for such a time as this, See, at the beginning of the church, uh, they had resistance, they had sin, but there was such a force and a power because they were, they were living out the purpose of the church that, that the Bible talked about that, that nothing could stop it. You don't believe me? Read the book of Acts. It was such a force to be reckoned with. And it is, it's sad. Here's, here's the fact. If we are to make a difference today, this generation must follow and hold to the plans and purpose that God intended the church to have. If it's going to work, and if the next generation or even this generation is not going to look at it like that stuff in my garage and say, I don't see the point of it. Put it on the shelf or get rid of it. That's not needed. It's really, I've held on to it for a while just out of memory's sake. But to be honest, it doesn't serve a purpose. If we were to go back to the beginning of the church or God's plan for the church and during the earthly ministry of Jesus, and yes, that's where I'm starting. A lot of times when we talk about the church, we go back to Acts. I'm not going to go back to Acts. I want to go to the founder of the book of Acts, the one that inspired the book of Acts, which was Jesus. There was constant debate about who Jesus is. They, they, they were asking who he was, and uh, at, at one time they, they, they were debating, well, he's a prophet, and he's a good man. And Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 2, and he came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these things except God be with him. So even at the beginning, they acknowledged and they were like, he's a pretty good guy. Man, he does a lot of good. You know, I think of the church that way, of how people view the church. It's it's pretty good. Man, there's, there's some good that comes out of it. But here's the thing. They didn't acknowledge Jesus being the son of God. 
They were trying to figure out who he was. And Jesus comes to a point where he clarifies this debate. They, they come to this place right outside of the city and in the backgrounds and the historical aspect of what it was that there was a lot of idolatry and there was a lot of wickedness and evil and that there was a lot of idol worship that was happening on. If we could hear this heart of Jesus, maybe as he looked over into the, 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 over the horizon of seeing all that trash and the deception and the work of Satan and what Satan has built up in culture and society, he turns to them. In Matthew chapter 16, he begins this debate, or not this debate, or this discussion. And I've realized from this, the people want truth. If you want to know and you say there's agnostics, there's skeptics, there's atheists, there's the blah, 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 all this other stuff. Put all that aside. Let me tell you straightforward what people want in this world. They just want truth. Or I could put it like this. They want what works. Just if my kids were to plug that in and it was like, oh my goodness, that's really good. Wow, that still works. That could really help us. I promise you, we would not throw it out because we'd stand there and say, wow, that's effective. But when people sit there and say it's not being what it should be, it doesn't work. It becomes, an, uh, it, it's not necessary. Jesus is about to unveil this incredible plan. And Jesus starts off with this question. Who do people say that I am? What a, what a crazy question. What an odd thing to say. In Matthew 16, which is where this whole discussion, this uh, study is going to be, in Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, his disciples, saying, Who, Whom do men say that the Son of Man am? He says, who, who do people say that I am? Maybe they're sitting around and, and Jesus is having this discussion with them and the disciples responded and there, there was, there was, they were saying, well, let me tell you, Jesus, this is what some of them are saying. You can imagine this casual conversation, you know, as each one of them are kind of chiming in and it tells us, and they said, so the group of them said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. I mean, that, that rumor's going around. Elias and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, it's, it's crazy because the truth is the world is even doing that today. They sit there and talk about and say, well, I think it's, you're, Jesus is a good man and he, he does a lot of good and you, he brings a lot of good messages. And it's great for homes and it's great for society and it's, it's this great improvement. And there was all this confusion with Jesus. And I think there's a lot of confusion today. And Jesus turns to the disciples and it was almost a setup. It was a, it was a teaching moment for Jesus. And in verse 15, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? He turns to them and, and maybe quietly turns around and he says, okay, who do you guys say that I am? Let, let, let me, I, I, I want to hear from you. I know what they're saying, but let me, do you guys get it? Do you guys grasp who I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And I can imagine Jesus at that moment being like, yes, you get it. Yes, Peter. You are correct. And you start thinking about what Jesus is doing that. And, and Jesus answered and said in him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You can almost hear as you read this, the excitement in Jesus' voice saying, Peter, you get something. And what you got, you didn't get from the world. And you didn't get from people. You didn't get from man. But God has showed you something that is so vital and important. 
then we are giving a statement that follows this that is so used when we're talking about church in verse 18. And he said, I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, I'm going to build my church. I, I want to make this as simple as I can because I want you to see how vital this is. About the, 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 we, we make it about the, the, the doctrines and the methods and the services and the tradition and the worship and the worship styles and all that, and we'll get to that. I just kind of want to start at the beginning before it even reached that about the very purpose and intent of what it was to be. See, if we're going to get back to God's plan for the church, then it has to be about the people of the church. And you say, oh, well, of course, all of us would sit there. We have those cliche things that we say. Well, the church is not a building. It's, it's the people. And we, we say that all the time. We, we say that so much. Hey, well, if we met out in the parking lot, we're still the church. And that is so true. But there's so much to this. See, at the beginning, the, the, it's the people that are the called. It's the people that are called. And I'll, I'll, I'm just bringing you through this timeline of Jesus. Jesus was going with them, and it all started with Jesus finding Peter, who was a fisherman. And he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And straightway, they left their nets and followed him. And I, I think that's how a lot of us are. It's like, come to church and let me show you something. Follow me, and, and I'm, I, want, I want you to grab hold of something that would change your life. Follow me. And they begin to follow the rabbi or the teacher this good man that came to do all these things. One day they were out at sea and a great storm arose and they thought they were going to die and Jesus was sleeping in the boat. Jesus stood up, rebuked the wind, peace be still. And the Bible says in Mark 4:41, and they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this? Now think about what they're saying, man, what kind of guy is this? Man, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let me just say at this point, they were called, but they didn't get it. They were invited, but they didn't get it. He, to, to see his great works and, and be around this, and they fully didn't get it. It wasn't comprehend. They, they weren't fully understanding what was going on. And let me just say, say for some people right now, if you're in this place where you say, man, I'm, I'm following Jesus right now. I listen to the messages. I tune in. I go to the church. I, I don't get it. That's all right. I, to be honest, they didn't get it. And, and some of you are at that place right now. I want to encourage if you're in that place and you just say, if you want me to like raise my hand and bow my head and say a prayer and I'm, I'm not there, I just want you to keep following. I just want you to keep listening. I, 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 it took them time to go after it for, the, for their head to affect their heart, for it to click. And, and it's, it's, some people never get past this. They follow after tradition or they follow after what Jesus has offered. Jesus fed the 5,000, so I'm like, man, if he's passing out bread, I'll follow this guy all day long. And I think sometimes for the church, we're, we're following after this calling that God has given us to follow him for what we get out of it. Maybe church is about what you get out of it. It's all about the social aspect. It, it's, it's all about the perks. It's all about the self-help. It's all about how it makes me feel. And I just, I just go in there and I leave and I just feel better. And sometimes people follow out of curiosity or they follow out of obligation, but at some point with them, it clicked. It clicked. Verse 16 again, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He declared him as God. He declared him as the Christ, which is the Messiah. He was real. He was alive. He was, he, he was, he was before them. And his eye affected his heart and it changed him. 
See, it went from their head to their heart. See, the next thing is the church is people that are convicted. The, the word convicted, if I was just to make it simple, it means to be convinced. It's like, convince me, tell me that this is real. Tell me that this is worth following. Tell me this is worth dying for. And to, to be fully convinced, and notice in verse 17, and Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. It's no man that showed you. This was God working in Peter to open his eyes for him to see church and God and the reality of heaven and hell and who Jesus was far different than he ever was before. And when conviction comes in your heart and you are fully convinced, it changes you. It changes everything about you. You see, it's nothing that man could do. It was God doing something in him that changed him. Peter was often off in a lot of things that he did. But you know, I started thinking about when you look back, it's great that we can be off on some things. It's like Jesus says, I must die and I must be arrested. And he gets arrested and Peter pulls out the sword and goes, not on my watch. And I thought, that's terrible. But you think about Peter on that moment was putting his life on the line because he had such love and passion for Jesus. Was he wrong? Absolutely. But his zeal was there so much, man, saying, just man. And he said before that, I'd rather die. I, I, I'd rather die than betray you. Man, his heart was so much for this love of God. He was convinced that, man, this is the Son of God. And I just started thinking about that. This the church people, yes. But the church is more than just people. It's a people that are convinced that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Followers that have a heart of conviction. Followers that know that he is the only way and that this is truth and you're willing to die for this. You think about when Jesus is even talking about being saved and accepting him in Romans 10, 9. And I've, I've dropped this verse probably every service that I've done online. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in Thine heart. That's where conviction is. It's not in my head like I should go to church or man, I don't know, or that's not a big deal or should we be involved or should we give or should we follow whatever God is saying. But when you view Jesus and, and the word was made flesh. So when we talk about Jesus and we have the word today and we're talking about following this and when we get that in our hearts and minds, it changes everything because when we read, if Jesus was to be physically and he says, I want you to do this, you would do it. If Jesus says to us in his word, I want you to do it, you should do it. And when we have a generation that doesn't want to give or doesn't want to follow, or doesn't want to sacrifice, or doesn't want to obey, and we put our flesh before this, I have to question us as a church. Are you fully convinced that he is real and that he is right? Or is it just obligation? He's just going through the motions. I think, what a weak church. When Jesus was about to say, I want to tell you about my church that I'm going to build and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And his first question was, is who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Are you convincing your heart? And don't tell me. Because I saw in those passages, Judas would have been like, yeah, I am too. In the back of his mind thinking until I find something better. And I think we, we talk about, I can't wait to get back to church. I can't wait to get back to the mission. I can't wait to get back to some of these things that we do. And I'm thinking, how easy is it for us to be? So wait, I've had people say this, that some people have gotten so comfortable 
being on their couch with their coffee, that I don't know if anybody's going to want to ever get up on Sunday morning to get back and gather like God's called us to do. Let me ask you, if that's your heart and that's what's going through your mind, how convinced are you that this is right? How convinced are you that this is what we are? Because I'll tell you, if we're not fully convinced that he is Jesus Christ and he is the way, the truth, and the life, and his way works, then we don't really have a church. We have a group that gathers for convenience. We have a congregation that gets together because of obligation or tradition. We think maybe things are not working. It's, it's, Jesus even told them. Verse 13, and he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I am? And he says in that passage, whom do men say that I am? I, I the son of man am. He inserted who he was in the middle of the question. Literally, as he was talking to him, he goes, I am Jesus, the Son of God. The question is, do you believe that? And Peter stood up and acknowledged them. And I tell you, the church has got to get this. I almost made that this, this point. I was like, do you get it? Do you get it? The church is people that get it. And, and I say that because of this, because the Bible says this also know that in the last days, perilous times will come. Let me just lay it out. You think things are tough now because we can't gather in a building? And you think that we're going through persecution? We've not seen nothing yet. We're sitting there trying to figure life out. You better be warned that God promised the church that difficult times are going to come. We're opposition. And you're not fully convincing your heart that this is the way. You're not fully convinced that Jesus Christ is everything. You're not fully convinced that the church is what God established and that it will be the hope for the next generation. You will fall away when things get hard or inconvenient because we already struggle with this if it just becomes uncomfortable. We're not talking about uncomfortable. We're talking about perilous, difficult, complicated times will come talking about getting back to the church and you say the church is people let me describe those people to you it's people that followed God and that were convinced in their heart that Jesus Christ was the son of God and by the way Peter at the end of his life he messed up and we do mess up and we struggle in our flesh and all these things but at the end of his life Peter died he was crucified upside down rejecting to die and be crucified the way that Jesus did because he was not he didn't figure himself to be worthy to do that Peter got it. And notice how this connects. We're talking about the people of the church, but we get into God's plan for the church or the purpose of the church. Let's look at the next verse. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And what, what a powerful truth. We love it. It's like, man, God's going to build something so powerful that not even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, God was saying, I'm going to build something extremely mighty and powerful. Jesus was introducing something to them based on the conversation of this, based on Peter getting it, based on people that say, you are the son of God. Jesus said upon this truth, I will build my church. You think about as they were talking and people say, what was the this that Jesus was talking about? Don't miss the verses that we just read. You are Jesus, the son of God. And I believe it. Jesus said, okay, Peter. Upon that, I'll build my church. We say the church is built upon Jesus. The church is built upon Jesus, but the church is built out of people that believe in Jesus. That is what it is. 
Jesus said, I could do this. And he's introducing this, this thing. He says, I will build my church. This was a term that they understood. He was, he was talking about building something else. And I love how Jesus is such a visual person or a visual God that he gives us this through the person of Jesus Christ of painting these illustrations. The stone or the rock is how you start building a building. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. See, a cornerstone, Ed, that was a, that was a really cool concept. And if you've ever done any kind of building, you want everything to be square and plumb. And, and so that what they would do is they would take a cornerstone. They, that's how they started. And they would take this rock and they, they, it would be square and it would be, they would bring it to where they were going to build it, and they would bring it to the corner of wherever this building was going to be. And that stone marked the, the height, the direction, it, it, where it started, everything went off that stone. So the stone was here, the building would go here. If the stone was this way, it would go this way. Everything was based off that stone. How high? The foundation, the direction, everything of that. that was, that's where it started. It was the starting point. Jesus was teaching this lesson that he was the cornerstone. It was not just Jesus, but this belief on Jesus. Jesus said, if I'm going to build an army that's going to, the gates of hell cannot prevail against, he said, I need to start with belief in Jesus Christ. Simon, Barjona, you. Hey, hey, Peter, you're a rock. Let, let, let me tell you what makes you strong is your belief in Jesus Christ. And he said, I, I, I'm going to build this church. This word church, and I'm not going to go crazy with this because I, I don't want to overwhelm you, but the word church in the Greek is this word that means ekklesia. See, the, the, the disciples, when he said, I'm going to build my church or ekklesia, I don't even want to use the word church right now because I'll explain here in a minute. He said, I'm going to build my ekklesia. And the disciples were like, what? You don't find that. They, they weren't stepping back going, what's he talking about? Because the word ekklesia was a word in their culture. It wasn't a new concept for them. They were not taken back by this because it wasn't a religious term. See, we automatically think religious terms. When we think of church, we think of a little white building. We think of stained glass windows. We think of a pulpit and chairs or pews. We think of choir lofts and, and, and all these little... That's what our minds go to because that is what, what we've created to be church today. But let me tell you, back in this passage, none of that came to mind because that's not what ecclesia meant. We're talking about reset of getting back to what God said. God didn't say, I'm going to build you a little building. It's going to be cute. You're going to love it. It's going to be in postcards and you're going to paint po paintings of it. It's going to be white. It's going to have a steeple on top. You're going to love it. It's going to have windows that are colored. It's going to have seats, and they're not just going to be seats. They're going to be long seats, and they're going to have ends on them. And, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to build. I'm, I'm, I'm going to build pulpits, and they're going to be wood, and they're going to be all the wood and all these other creative things that are going to have decorative things all over it. And you're going to have offering plates. Yep, they're going to have offering plates. And you should probably should do it at a certain time, and you're going to take communion. None of this came to mind because none of it was what Jesus said. None of it. So where did it come from? Us. We did it. Sometimes when we talk about church and getting back to, we want to get back to our stuff. We want to get back to everything that we created. It's, so the word ecclesia, the ek at the beginning was out. Lesia means called. It's called out. It was, it was uh, the, the called out ones. It was a group. He was gathering a group. 
It had different meanings. It meant citizens called together for a civic purpose. It was used to reference citizens called to gathering for a military purpose. We know that when, when they uh, call people into the military or, or they, they do those types of things and they assemble an army. That's the same thing. If you think of that, like we're going to war, we need help. Call them in, gather them together, train them, pull them together as a unit just to sit there. You just come and sit there. That's, that's, that's what we need. I just, are you comfortable? Are you guys comfortable? Are you all enjoying your weapons and you got your guns and everything? Okay. Are your seats okay? Is the padding thick enough? Oh, you don't like the padding. Oh, that's too modern for you. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just, it, that, that's not what he did. See, he called them together because they were assembly of something that was going to come together and do something. And if you study this, there is no building involved. None. It, because it wasn't referencing that. It was simply a gathering of people called for a specific purpose. Ecclesia was never referred to a specific place, only a specific gathering for a purpose. So when the church began to gather, and they began to come together because they did it, and, and, and that's a whole other message for a whole other time, just the same way that an army comes together, and, and they come a brotherhood, and they train, and they encourage, and, and they're uplifted, and they're educated in everything, but not just to stay there. That they, they, they come together, they're assembled as an army for a reason of a purpose, even in Acts, they, and they continued daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So they did assemble, but it was never about the place. It was about what they did. They ate meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And you see the mission of what they did through the book of Acts because they turned the world upside down. The church turned the world upside down. Believers gathered however they could meet because it was never about the place that they met. They would eat and sing and talk and it was nothing fancy or formal. There was great opposition. Saul would even go in and he would find out where they were because they declared Jesus Christ being the king of kings. And they said, I believe that. If you believe that, you don't believe that our king is king. Then you must die. And opposition would come and they would kill them or destroy them or stone them. They would burn their homes and burn their assemblies, that their buildings that they had together. And they were like, okay, we'll just keep going because it's not about a building. It was never about a building. It's never about their empire, what they built up. Saul was a perfect example of this. After years passing, Christianity began to be more accepted. It wasn't so outlawed at the time, and they were able to be able to do things. And they began to be building, begin building buildings for a purpose because of the fact is that they wanted to invite people to a place to train, to learn, to grow into fellowship. Oftentimes, some of these were even placed around places that people were martyred. Somebody would be martyred. They would build a church close to it, or they would build a building so that they could honor them, or they could talk about what they did. See, here it is. is God's plan was for the church to be a movement for the kingdom of God. See, if you look at it in Matthew 16, 18, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He was going to build up something. What was he building up? Matthew 6, before this, he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, it was, it was to reach more people with the message is what the church was to do. It was, it was an assembly of, uh, of an army. And remember, Jesus was the cornerstone. You would say, what was he building up? Well, let's go back to the cornerstone. Remember, the cornerstone sets the stage for everything. If we're going to build up something that's going to be strong, it's all based on the cornerstone. Let's look at the cornerstone. Cornerstone is Jesus. 
When Jesus said in Matthew 4.19, and he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Do you get the wording there of what Jesus was? We sit there and talk about the church is all about Jesus and church is all about being like Jesus. Okay, if it was, follow me. Let's go. Let's go. This, this was the church. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. It's a mission. John 4.4, he later says, and he says, I must needs go through Samaria. There's somebody that's going to go to hell that needs me. I must go. At the end of it, he said unto them in Mark 16, 15, going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Acts, when we speak of the church, it was people on a mission. It was people in motion. It was people on a move. It was a, it was, it was a, it was a plan of God that was, he was executing because the ecclesia, the church, God's word for church was a call-out assembly, assembling an army, assembling a team for a purpose. But here's where we get to the problem. See, man's problem is a focus on the place rather than God's plan. Now, we would never admit that. See, what happens when man gets involved in something that God is doing? We make it about us. It happens every single time. We are selfish. We get into marriage. We want to make it about us. When we get into church, we make it about us. We do this. It is so easy to, to add our things to it. What makes us happy? The same thing with like a cell phone. You know what I'd like to have on here? And before long, it's no longer about calling people or connecting of the original purpose of it. It's about me playing games. It, it, it's it, not that that's bad, but the idea is when it comes to church, it is bad. The church slowly went from a movement to a location. If you were to look up in Webster's Dictionary today of the word church, it does not say ecclesia, called out assembly of people on a mission it says a building used for public Christian worship. Why is that? Because man started making it about that. We started building our empires. The greater the building, the greater the success. The bigger the gathering, the greater their success. And men began to build churches into kingdoms. We created staples of what church looked like. It was no longer about a movement because you can't identify a movement other than the characteristics of the love of Jesus Christ and the mission that he did. But we started doing, and then we started adding things to it. From like I was talking, we added a pew, and then all of a sudden, generations later, you have to have a pew. And then we started adding certain ways that they would hold your Bible, and you have to have that. And certain ways that we would worship and certain things that we would have and certain items built on top of it like steeples. And, and I'm not against those things. But let me remind you that every one of those things was created by man and does not come from the word ecclesia. You will not find that associated with what God said it is. And man began to shape what the church looked like with the things that we added to it. It became ingrained into us that if we were to change any of these things that we created, we were changing the church. We would also have church splits, division, arguing, backbiting, whatever. Not about the mission of reaching people. Not that Jesus is the Son of God. Not that he is Christ, the Messiah, that will save them from hell and eternity. No, sir, that's not what they were upset about. They were upset about changing a chair or an item of furniture, or a window. I wonder why the church is failing today. I wonder why we're struggling. I wonder why the next generation kicks it in the garage and says, I, th th we really don't need it. It doesn't do anything. There's no power in that. 
doesn't turn on, it doesn't help me, it doesn't change my life, it's not helping society, it does nothing. See, over and over, this got out of control with society and the church went from all sorts of direction and corruption came in as it grew. The more man got involved and the more corruption that came, they added doctrines and teaching and they ceased to be a movement and they became a location. Talk about the problem is they ceased to be a movement and they became a location. Without it being an assembly for the mission, we become ineffective. I hate this virus, but I'll tell you, it reminds us the church is not a location. It's not a building. Let me just insert this because you're thinking tools for what you build anything with. You use tools. I, I, I love using tools. I, I, I have a ton of tools, but I don't make it about the tool. I make it about what I'm building. It's about the purpose or the mission of what the tool was given to me to do. And I tell you, I love good tools. I love DeWalt. I, I, I love the things that get the job done. And I, I have passion for those things. I, I do because I want it to be right and I want it to be good. And the buildings and the lights and the crosses and the, all these things that we have that symbolize this, these good things. And I want it to be the best that I can. And I want it to be useful and I want it to be dynamic and I, I, I want it to be a good tool. But how dare we start worshiping the tools? And how dare we start making it about us And how dare we turn around and make the success according to what I have done, what I have built, or what I have done through the tools that God has given me. And if our focus is so wrapped up in the tools that man has been given as a tool of building good things for God, then all of a sudden we have became idol worshipers out of things. These are just things. They're all just things. And when God comes back, they will be burnt up and gone. And the only thing that will be saved is the people that were convinced that Jesus Christ was the only way. And I close with this simple point. We talked about the plan for the people and the purpose of the church. And next we see the power of the church. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You talk about something that confuses us. And something that we might not even question when we're doing this? Gates of hell. It doesn't say the army of Satan. It doesn't say the works of darkness. It says gates. Have you ever thought about that? Let, let me tell you the word gate literally means in this passage. Just, just write this down. Maybe I should write this out so that you guys get this. The gate in this passage literally means, it means, it means a gate. It means a leaf or wing that folds for the entrance of a place. That's deep, isn't it? Man, some of you are just like, you just blew my mind. I know. It gets deeper, okay? It's literally saying something that would be attached to a large kingdom or a city that would allow things to go out or come in. That's what the gates, and we're sitting there saying, uh, that's what's not going to prevail against the church? See, it must have a deeper meaning to that because hell does not have literal doors. I mean, you think about it, it doesn't, there, there's nobody sitting there. And it's symbolism because even Jesus said, I hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You think about it, Jesus does, doesn't come home and say, oh, which key? I mean, it's, it's not that. It's not what he was talking. Jesus was speaking figuratively. He was painting a picture. And I know the cross is a picture of the love and sacrifice of God. And the grave is a picture. And and communion is a picture. And all these things we have been given is a picture for us to visualize. And so I get it. 
And you think about what Jesus was speaking figuratively here. He was literally saying, I'm the cornerstone. You're people. I'm going to call you here. I'm going to build up something. I'm going to assemble you guys together. And I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm going to call it the church. I'm going to assemble my army. I'm going to call it the church. I'm going to be the core of it. Everything's going to be built on me. And it's built on that principle that I am the son of God. I am the one that conquered death, hell, and the grave. I am the one that has authority over those things. You do it my way. You follow me and we'll build something. He said, I'm going to build something through you. I'm going to build. You know what you do when you build? You're building up something. You know why we're here? Because we're building up something for Jesus Christ or Jesus is doing it through us. It's the church. Or let me just put it, since we're talking this way, since we're painting this picture, it's the kingdom of God. We're building the kingdom of God, and that kingdom is not here. It's in heaven. That's why all of these things don't matter. The thing that matters is the ones that know Jesus that are going to the king of kings and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. That's all that matters. And Jesus, as he's talking about the assembly to build what he's going to do, his kingdom, he stands there and looks at the other kingdom. Another kingdom. A kingdom that's built up and established because Satan is the ruler of this world. And God looks at it and says, there's the gates. That's what comes out. That's what represents a fortified, established city. It represents all the powers of hell and everything. Because once the city was completed and it was built and it was strong and it was fortified, they would put up a gate. And Jesus was sitting there symbolizing, we're going to build a kingdom, but I'll tell you, there's already a kingdom and it's after us. And it represents death and hell. And it represents the work of Satan. And it represents all of these things that are opposing to us. And God was literally saying it, it, through this that I'm going to give you something that is so powerful. And Peter declared it at the beginning of this. He said, thou art the Christ. Don't miss that. This, the, this Jesus, the son of God is what he said. The son of the living God. But at the beginning of it, he declared him as the Christ. You know who the Christ was? The Messiah. He said, you are the Messiah. You're our hope. Because we're all headed for that hell. And there's nothing I can do to stop it. And it has all the power over me to prevail. But because I have you, you are greater than the gates of hell. You are greater than what's on the other side. And I'm on a destination to fail. But through Jesus Christ, he's building up a kingdom that cannot fail. Because it is built on Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the one that is greater, the one that came out of the grave, the one that proved this. I stand, and I'm not bragging, but just hear me out. I stand called by God. And I tell you, God can't build this kingdom that he wants to do with me unless I'm convinced that he is Jesus, the son of the living God. Because in my life, I have got to follow and obey and be convicted in my heart that I don't go to church and I don't assemble out of convenience. And it's not about my iPad. It's not about our table. It's not about our steeple. It's not about my stuff that I created. It's not about where I sit. It's not about what holds my Bible. It's not about the traditions that I added. It's not about there's no power in any of those things. And when we fight and we divide and we focus all of our attention about things that have no power, then it means that we have no power. 
because I, I am lifting up something that has no significance. It just helps me. It's just a tool. I want a house for my home to live in, for my family to live in. I'm not going to sit there and make it about my drill. I want to make it about the people in the house. Do we get that? Are we convicted? Are we sold out? Death or whatever, I'm, I'm serving Jesus. I'm going forward. And I'm not going to make it about building my kingdom of this place. I'm not going to make it about the success of my kingdom to beat my chest and say, look at how big or how much or what I do or how often we come together. I want to make it about being the army, the called out, the assembly, the called together, standing there before Jesus Christ in the army of God saying, where are you sending us and what do you want us to do? Because we're a movement for God. Oh yeah, that kingdom has no power over me. Because the Christ that I serve has conquered it. But there's so many people that are headed that direction. And those gates will prevail over them unless they meet the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you know that Jesus Christ? Do you have that? We're talking about the church. But let me tell you, maybe you're just part of that calling. Like, I'm curious. I tuned in. I want to hear more. I don't know. But maybe the tuning in was maybe for it to go from your head to your heart. Where you stand back and says, no, Jesus is the son of the living God. He is the Christ. He's the only way for me to get to heaven. He's the only way to prevail over the gates of hell. You say, I, I want that. I've got good news. He wants to give it to you. He's done all the work. He's paid the price. He conquered it. He offers it to you. You just, like we said in Romans 10, 9 already, you just believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. That's literally saying he, he is the Messiah, and I believe that. And the Bible says very clearly that you'll be saved believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, and accepting that gift. And some of you right now need to do that. Quit playing games. God is coming back. God is warning us over and over again. He's shaking our nation. He's shaking our world and trying to reach you through a digital screen right now to speak to your heart. And it won't be man that reveals it unto you. It will be the God of heaven that speaks to your heart to say you need Jesus. And maybe you'll accept him today. Will you pray with me right now? And just pray this prayer. God, I need you. And I get it. I get it. I am lost and I am a sinner and you're my only hope. And God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to set me free and to come into my life and for you to be my Christ, my living hope and my salvation. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, you have accepted Jesus Christ because it's your faith that God put into your heart that God convict you of, not man, not me, not what I did, but all of our God. And if that is you, let us know. I want to know. Let me follow up. Let me reach out to you because you're not in this assembly alone. God has called us together into the fellowship, which is the beauty of the church and the beauty of what this building does and the beauty of what we do when we come here as a family about the other people that believe, not the building that I stand in. Let us know. And let's make sure that we are serving Jesus Christ in the church that he established.